Lord, we turn our full attention onto you tonight. Father, have your way in this house, in each heart. Father, we want you. We have to have you. In all your fullness, Lord, fill this house. Father, I thank you for every word you'll speak in this house tonight. Every eternal word of life and spirit and power. I thank you, Father, you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, here I am. Use me for your glory. Be glorified. Make your name great. begin to share the message that God has for us tonight, but stay right here. Stay right here. You can be seated. Don't go too far. Well, God sent me with a message that's not a new message, but I think one that you're going to love. 
And I just can't get away from it. And he just keeps hearing it in my heart, in my, in my being. And God is just simply saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. Isn't that amazing? I will be your God and you will be my people. The first time God said that in the Bible was in Genesis 17, that famous chapter where God makes covenant with Abraham. He says, I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations. That's us. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. Wow. Aren't you so glad he wants to be your God? (laughs) I mean, what a privilege. And then throughout the Old Testament, he says it over and over and over again. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'm going to read you some of them because I just want to plant it in our hearts tonight. But in Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7, he says, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And they will return to me with their whole heart. Praise God. Jeremiah 31, 33. God speaking and he talks about a new covenant. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. They all will know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. (laughs) Praise God. Aren't you glad that's the God that's our God? That God? (laughs) In Ezekiel 37, 27, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle will be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they will be my people. Praise God. And even in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, God reminds us and says, you are the temple of the living God. You are. Say, I am. I am the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Can you hear the love in that? There's so much love in that. God's desire is to be your God and for you to be his people. Isn't that amazing? That's his desire. There's no way he would have said it over and over and over again if that wasn't his end goal. Right? To be our God and for us to be his people. See, God's looking for a people. He's not satisfied with a person. If he was just looking for a great person... He's had that through the ages, but he's still looking for a people, a people. He wants a people. You know, he could have taken when, when the Israelites got to the promised land and, and all those complainers, you know, all those 
people that wouldn't let go of their idols, the Egyptian gods. He could have just said, forget y'all, I'm taking Moses in. But he didn't want a person. He wanted a people. And it's still true today. He wants a people. He wants a people to take into his promises. Isn't that awesome? So he wants to be our God. And he wants everyone to know he's our God. That's the goal. Is that they all know that he's our God and we're his people. (laughs) And when we allow that, it makes him look really good. It brings him tons of glory when that actually happens. In a moment when he's our God and we surrender and be his people. 1 Peter 2.9 says you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, when you became his own special people, you, you gave him bragging rights. Right? We're supposed to proclaim how awesome he is. How awesome this life is living for him. You know, when we sing, I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. That's our, that's, that's our boast in him. Is that there's no life like this life. There's none like it. In the Passion Translation, it reads this way. But you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings. A spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. I want to be God's devoted one. (laughs) I want to be devoted to the one who says he's my God. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. See, it wasn't just good enough for him to have you. He wants you to tell everyone else how great he is so he can get them too. See, we have a global God. He's not satisfied with one city, one state, one nation. He wants one world. You know, they might say one world government, but God's saying one world government. He's going to be one world government. (laughs) Christians are everywhere. Some of them might be a little more undercover than others, but we're everywhere. And when this breaks out, we're going to be everywhere. God wants to be our God. And he wants us to be his people. And he wants to do amazing things for us. Marvelous wonders. Glorious goodness. In Isaiah 61, it says that he'll give beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But you know we got to let him do that? You have to want that more than you want heaviness. But he is right there to give it to you. Why? Because he wants to be your God. And he wants you to be his people. And that's how he thinks his people dress. Joy, praise, beauty, right? And it says that he may be glorified. See, he wants to be the one that's known as the healer. 
the peace giver, the provider. And see, it's our lives that prove that he's that. That's why it's important that we're his people. So we let him be that to us. Amen? When we don't let him be our God, or we're, we won't be his people, it doesn't make him look good. You know? When the Israelites went to the promised land and they wouldn't go in, that didn't make him look good. In fact, God says in Ezekiel that he had to act for his name's sake because his name was about to be profaned by the Gentiles who knew that he had brought them out of Egypt. They weren't making him look good. They weren't glorifying him. He wasn't getting glory in that. And he go and God says that he no longer wants them to stray from me. And Ezekiel says that they no longer stray from me, nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God. He says over and over again throughout the Bible, I will fill in the blank. I will that they may know that I am the Lord. I will do this that they may know that I am the Lord. I'll do this that they may know that I am the Lord. He's so ready. He's so ready to do it. He's so ready to act. He so wants to be our God and for us to be his people and for the whole world to know it. And when this desire of his becomes our desire, that's when revival happens. See, revival, to me, is when people fall in love with God. They fall in love with him. Yeah, we all want revival. We all want God to do miraculous wonders. But it happens when we fall in love with him. When we reverence him and adore him. When we come in and sing songs like we just sang. Where we say things out loud, like, there's no one like you. You do miracles so great. When we fall in love with him. And not just during the first part of a service. But when we go out the doors. And we get to work and we're threatened with being fired and we say, you do miracles so great. When we don't know where the next meal is coming from and we say, you do miracles so great. Where we don't say things like, where are you, God? But we say, God, you are Emmanuel, God with me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You are my strength and my salvation. I will not fear. When we fall in love with him, that's when revival happens. When we want him to have what he wants. You know, I read something this week that said, That third petition in the Lord's Prayer that people pray with no intent 
of giving up their desires for his. You know that one that says, your kingdom come, your will be done? When they have no intent of anyone's will being done but their own. See, you fall in love with God when you want him to have what he wants. What he wants. And he wants to be your God. That's the good news about it. And he wants you to be his people. When Eric spoke a few weeks ago, he said, he gave, he gave us the verse Psalm 69.9 in the Passion Translation that says, my love for you has my heart on fire. My love for you has my heart on fire. If our hearts aren't on fire, let's meditate on that verse. My love for you has my heart on fire. I just want God to have what he wants. You know, when you, when you, because I love Eric, sometimes I don't care where we eat. I know that's something simple, but I just want him to have what he wants. You know what I mean? That's love is when you prefer the other person. And when we fall in love with God, we want him to have what he wants. It's like Danny on worship night. I just want more. That song, Stay, I just want more. God, don't go anywhere. I just want more. When these summer revival nights began, after that first or second Wednesday night, my heart was so toward God. I just wanted to be a holy like he's holy. I'm probably going to cry tonight. I'm just going to lay it out there. I just want to be holy like he's holy. Because I want him to do what he wants to do. I want him to have what he wants to have. And if that's not the cry of our heart, something's wrong with us. And we need to get on our knees before him until it is the cry of our heart. Because love is missing. Jesus warned the church not to lose your first love. And if we don't love God enough for him to want what he wants. Revelation says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. I just wanted to become for him and only him. That's what these revival summer nights are doing to me. So many things are vying for your attention and my attention. So much is trying to distract. When God is whispering, I'll be your God. You be my people. Just love me. Let me love you. Come into my presence. Your fullness is going to be found there. And nowhere else but there. I love my husband. And he is good to me. 
But that's not where my fullness is going to be. And I can't be what he needs me to be or any what you need me to be if I'm not spending time with God. Pastor Justin started out this series by telling us that this summer would be a season of separation to God. If we're not experiencing that, we should be. Because that's what God wants. That's his desire right now. Because he needs a people. He needs a people. It's not good enough if he just has me. He wants all of us. In one accord. He needs his church. See, he's ready. He's so ready. That's why he's saying, I will be your God. And you will be my people. I'm ready, God's saying. But he needs his church ready. I saw a quote this week that said, God provides the men and women needed for every generation. That's you and me. It's not a mistake that we're living in this day. God provided you for this generation. Lester Sumrall said, God wants to take natural people and work supernaturally through them to bring about a mighty surge of power. (laughs) See, God needs a people. He needs a people. More than ever, God just wants to be our God. He wants to show up big time. Big time. Let me read you. This is Dr. Savell's word of the Lord that he gave on February 4th of this year. There's a new season that you've entered into. A season of greater blessings that I've arranged for you. Blessings that you've never experienced before. So get ready to receive them. They're yours for sure. I'm taking you higher. Yes, that's my plan. So stay in faith and take your stand. Refuse to be moved by what others say. I'm in charge. I'll have my way. Yes, this is a new season which many thought would never come. But I've made it happen. Yes, it's what I've done. I'm still the God who makes the impossible possible. It's what I do. And it's all because of my love for you. So rejoice and be glad with outbursts of joy and laughter too. You're entering into the realm of the maximum, just like I said you'd do. Nine times, at least, nine times in that short prophecy, God said, I. This is what he's going to do. He's going to do this whether you're ready or not. But those that are ready are going to see it. Did you hear him say, I'm in charge? I'll have my way. Thank God. Praise God. Listen, he's in charge and he's going to have his way. That should be good news to everybody sitting here. Whatever you're facing right now, he's in charge and he's going to have his way. And he has a plan for you that's good. A plan to prosper you and to give you an expected end. 
He's going to have his way. He's going to have his way. Kenneth Copeland had a prophecy on February 24th, soon after that, where God said, the time has come for the impossible to take place. I receive that. In Jesus' name, whatever you think looks impossible, I don't care if it's in your life, someone else's life, your grandchildren's life, your friend's life, the nation. It's time. The time has come. This is God's word through Kenneth Copeland to us. The time has come for the impossible to take place. See, God's ready. He's so ready. And then in June, Kenneth Copeland gave a prophetic word. The Lord said, this is my move, says the Lord. I'm stirred up. I am stirred up. What do you think that looks like when God's stirred up? Wow. I'm ready for God to be stirred up. I don't know about you. I'm ready. I'm ready. So ready. Aren't we so ready? So God needs a people who are ready. God needs a people totally sold out to him. That's what Summer Revival Nights are about, everybody. He needs a people who are totally in love with him. With total faith in him. Completely surrendered to him. In case you were wondering what total faith meant. Completely surrendered to him. Where you so trust him. Because it's time for the impossible to take place. I don't know who said it first, but we lift up holy hands. But what does this look like? Surrender. You ask a little kid, they'll tell you. I mean, when I lift my hands and worship like this, it's like I'm saying, God, (laughs) you, just you, 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 you are amazing. You are amazing. Isn't that what you're saying when you do that? I mean, I can't not do this sometimes. I just am so in. Danny, thank you. Thank you. He needs a people completely surrendered to him. Because if we're in love with him, that's what surrender is. It's simply love. It's so, this word surrendered keeps coming up all around me. On, um... I don't remember what day it was. It was last week, and I had a conversation with someone revolving around this word. And then I came to prayer on Monday night, and Carol, her her beginning message was all about this word surrendered. What does that mean? What does that look like? That's those are true disciples. You remember when John Ben Dixon was here and he talked about good Christians? Well, when I was growing up. My dad did a message one time about how, you know, you get saved, you're a believer. You know, believers. Believers, you just believe God. You believe God, you got saved. But believers have to become disciples. And true disciples follow Jesus. They're just like him. They're not satisfied with anything but that. It says in the word that disciples are just like their master. That's our goal. And with the grace that's sufficient for us. 
Yeah, we can do that. That's not something we can't do. So it goes from believers to disciples to Christians. Because those are Christ-like ones. Let me tell you a story about people that were like this. People who want, who wanted above all for God to have what he wants. Okay? They had a motto that they would say that said, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. And they gave their lives to serve him. I'm going to read. So, can you bear with me? Can we have story hour? Do you care what time it is? Okay, good. All right. So, this is a story of a group of people that they called the Moravians. And it was in the early 1700s. And there was about 300 of them. Kind of about the size of this church. And it says, and they all came together. They came from lots of different areas. They came from a lot of different religions. And they gathered in one place. Somebody made room for them. They left for because of persecution. They came to the land. They all were in one place. And it says, by the beginning of 1727, the community was about 300 people. And they were wracked by dissension Bickering, they were an unlikely site for revival. Thank God. If you can identify with that or if the church can identify with that, thank God. Because that's where revival broke out. (laughs) However, over time, they all loved God. They just didn't love each other. So the leader started going from house to house to visit them. And it says, by August 13th of that year, everyone had come to a conviction of their sinfulness, their need, and their helplessness. They attended a service where they made many painful prayers for themselves, for fellow Christians still under persecution, and for their continued unity. It says the congregation knelt and sang, my soul before thee prostrate lies, to thee its source my spirit flies. Then prayers of great unction arose from the brethren as they interceded for each other and those who were still living under persecution. And while they were praying for each other and praying for others, suddenly with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, The power of the Holy Spirit swept across the congregation in waves. The noise of the wind was loud enough that many in the church looked toward the windows, expecting to see a storm raging outside. The manifestation of the Spirit was not relegated within the four walls of the church, but felt throughout the entire community. Men, women, and children were touched as a passion for God, and His purpose swept through their hearts. One Moravian said of the incident, we had quit judging each other because we had 
become convinced, each one, of his lack of worth in the sight of God. Like, how can I judge you if I'm not any better? Everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared. And an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. Which makes sense because the Holy Spirit, it says, sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. So when the Holy Spirit can take control, of course love comes in the room. It says, so this, start, this sparked the revival that happened among them. And it says, as long as the Moravians kept their focus on Jesus, the glory prevailed. Whenever they would start to look at the work of each other or even begin to focus too much on their own work for him, the glory would depart. They could not allow anything to eclipse Christ as the center. The author says prayer was the main catalyst that fueled the revival. It was during this time that the leader received a verse from the Lord, Leviticus 6.13, which says, A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. That sparked a prayer revival. And two weeks into this revival, they started... 24 men and 24 women covenanted together to spend one hour each day in scheduled prayer. And then soon others enlisted. And before long, all the members shared in what became known as the hourly intercession. This hour, they didn't know it at the time, but this hourly intercession went every day for a hundred years. Wow. This, inter- this intense prayer vigil birthed in the hearts of the Moravians a passion for the lost. Six months into this prayer watch, the leaders suggested the challenge of a bold evangelism aimed specifically to reach those in the world for whom no one cared. As he was speaking, 26 Moravians stepped forward to go wherever the Lord led. And so, on 3 at 3 a.m. on the morning of August 21st, 1732, they drove the, well, drove the carriage, carriage, it says drove, but it was carriage. They took the first two missionaries to the harbor to board a ship. Those two missionaries were a potter and a carpenter. They were the first Moravian missionaries to go into the world. Remember, this is the 1700s. Missions isn't even a thing. It's not even a thing. The churches were like complacent. And here you have a group of 300 people in a place so revived by God and the love for God and It sparked a a love for souls in their heart. These two missionaries were the first to go into the world. In less than a year, more than 200 would follow. 
As the ship sailed out of the harbor, they lifted up a cry that would become the rallying call for all Moravian missionaries. Let me go back. This potter and this carpenter had already been told by the government that they were forbidden to preach the gospel to the slaves that were indentured at St. Thomas, where they were going. So these two men then sold all their possessions and sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery on the island in order to reach the slaves with the gospel. As the ship sailed out of the harbor, they lifted up a cry that would become the rallying call for all Moravian missionaries. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Their passion for souls was surpassed only by their passion for the lamb of God. Soon many others followed. What lay ahead of them was prison, shipwrecks, persecution, ridicule, plague, abject poverty, and death. These soldiers of the cross covered the earth like a flood. While back where they lived, the hourly intercession gave them strength to endure. 1732 to 1742 would become known as the golden decade as far as missionary expansion was concerned. The missionaries were about to enter places that from the beginning of time were controlled by principalities and powers. These lords of darkness ruled unhindered for eons, dragging millions of souls into a Christless eternity. So into this deep darkness, the Moravians came shining the light of salvation. They boldly declared a name that was never heard of in those parts of the world. A name that reverberated from tree to tree, rock to rock, cavern to cavern, crevice to crevice, soul to soul. Jesus. (laughs) The enemy was not going to give up his control. The missionary death toll was staggering. In Africa alone, the ratio of death to convert was one Moravian missionary's death for every 10 converts. In New Guinea, it was even more shocking, one for one. By 1734, every ship that was leaving the harbor with three Moravian missionaries headed to the mission field would pass a ship that was returning, carrying two Moravian bodies home to be buried. The life expectancy of these brave missionaries, especially those who went to Africa, was two years. In two years, they would usually succumb to unknown disease or risk or the savageness of the inhabitants they faced. It is a documented fact that the Moravians would pack their belongings in coffins and send them ahead so that they would have something to ship their bodies back home in. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. God needs a people. It all started in a prayer meeting. Because you can't pray and not love. 
If you have someone you don't like very much, someone that rubs you the wrong way, someone that needs to get saved, I challenge you to start praying for them. Because first it will change you. And then you can be Jesus to them. And that's what will change them. Jesus said you can't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. These people changed the world. But more than that, they changed the church. Because God needs a people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And he will find a people. Pastor Justin said when he spoke that revival is tapping into a source. So what do we have to do? Turn to our source. That's it. That's all we can do. Right? Let me, let me, can I give you one more story about these guys? My gosh, it just makes my heart burn. My heart burns in me to be like this. Remember, these missionaries had to go by boat, right? So a New York newspaper reporter was on a ship. Remember, this went for 100 years. A New York newspaper reporter was on a ship traveling back to the States after finishing an overseas assignment. On that same ship just happened to be five Moravian families. The ship came to a stop off of a secluded island, and he noticed a distress among the missionaries' families. The wives were profusely crying and holding on tightly to their husbands. The men then knelt in prayer and blessed and hugged their children. The five male missionaries were then lowered into a small skiff and began rowing toward the island. The reporter then understood that the sorrow was caused by everyone saying goodbye for a while until the men could be picked up again when the ship returned. That's what he thought. His heart began to sink when, using the captain's spyglass, he read a sign on the beach of the island. All are forbidden to enter. Leper colony. All who enter this place cannot return. And that's why they were crying. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We are the devil's worst nightmare. We are. When our love for God exceeds everything else, we are his worst nightmare. Revival will break out. But at first it has to break out in our hearts. Church. I read a quote that said, no one is a firmer believer in prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, but that he suffers from it. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Don't you? (laughs) Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman said this, revivals are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. 
When the Sunday school teachers of Tannybrook prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of soul winning. Jay Sidlow Baxter said, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. (laughs) Why? Because God wants to be your God. And he already promised. When you ask anything in my name, I'll give it. When our hearts match his and we want what he wants, don't you think he's ready for that? Yeah. Yeah. And everyone out there is helpless against it. God will have his way. He's going to have his way. Let me read you this one. Can a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle while men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? God needs a people. He needs a people. In Ezekiel, God says, I will sanctify my great name. That means set apart. Like my name will be different than every other name. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. That means when we think he's awesome. And not just when we're singing during the worship part of a service. But when we go out there at work and when we're in our homes and we remember who he is. Who he told us he would be to us. God wants us to turn to him. Because he's ready. Every time, in every situation. To be your God. He wants to be your God. He wants his name to be great. And in turn, they're going to hear about us. That's the way it works. Deuteronomy 28, 9 and 10 says, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. The Lord will. All we have to do is turn to the Lord and the Lord will establish you. He'll he'll make you holy. He'll make us as a people holy to himself. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. (laughs) Can you imagine? When they hear about your God and they know you're his people, they should be afraid to touch you. That's what happened in Joshua chapter 2. They told the spies in Jericho, They said, we've heard about your God and what he's done for you. For the Lord, your God, he's God. That's what they said. (laughs) You know, they know it. We have to know it. You know, when they, that whole Jericho thing went down, they simply did what God said. And God did all the rest. 
But first we have to hear what God's telling us to do. And that takes getting in his presence. That takes prayer. Revival won't come outside of prayer. It doesn't matter if it's in the nation or in your life. It starts in prayer because we have to hear him. And we have to have his desires be our desires. So we have to turn to Jehovah Jireh. So he can be Jehovah Jireh. We have to turn to Jehovah Shalom. So he can be Jehovah Shalom. We have to turn to Jehovah Rapha. So he can be Jehovah Rapha. You have to turn to Jehovah Nisi. So he can be Jehovah Nisi. That means your victory. Your banner. That's like. I'm raising the banner. And I'm standing under it. You know. That God is my God. He's my victory. That he has staked his flag in my heart. And I'm his. He's my victory. But that's who I have to turn to every time. So church, we got to get good, 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 really good at this. So he can be our God. If we keep trying to figure it all out and make it all happen, he's not God. If I'm doing that, I'm my God. If I'm trying to do it, if I'm trying to get the raise, if I'm trying to make you like me, I'm my God. He can't be my God. If I'm doing everything I can to get peace, I've got my pillow and my Twinkies. He's not my peace. You understand? He wants to be my God. And he wants to show up and show out that he can do this. And we have to stay there until. That's what faith does. It perseveres to the end. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And he promises us. When I found out, when it occurred to me, you know, that lightning fast moment you have in your life where you're like, duh. When it occurred to me that those are his names. Like my name's Nikki and that will never change. I will always be Nikki. God is always that. It never changes. He is always Jehovah Rapha. It doesn't matter if they say healing's passed away. Fine, healing's passed away, but what about the healer? His name is Healer. That will never change. So there will never be no healing. It's what he does. He's a provider. He provides. That's what he does. It will never stop being because he will never stop being. He's eternal. When my lightning quick mind figured all that out one day, I was just so relieved. Like, oh, that's great. doesn't matter what anyone says. It's your name. Take that. It's his name. It will never change. When Jesus rose from the dead, do you know what he told Mary in the garden? The very first thing on his lips when he saw her was, I'm going to my God and your God, my father and your father, because everything had just changed. No more would there be any hindrance to your God and your father. It was done deal. Permanent access by Jesus. That's why we pray in his name. It reminds heaven and earth 
that we have permanent access to our God, our Father, not just Jesus's, ours forevermore. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So we have to make sure, like what Eric said on Sunday, that, that all of this doesn't become just a vocabulary of words that we know about. You know what I'm saying? That's the danger of it. It can't just be something, oh, yeah, yeah of course, yeah, yeah, Joe Vajira. But I don't believe it. That's what Eric was saying. It has to be backed by faith in this word. Faith that he said he is who he says he is. Because he wants to be my God. And he wants everyone to know that he's my God. He gets no praise if he doesn't come through for me. You can remind him of that. God, you don't get any praise if you don't come through for me in this. Just make sure you want what he wants. I have to let him be my God. He has to be my refuge. I love the songs we sang tonight. Didn't you love it? He has to be my refuge, my healer, my guide. We have to want to be his people. That means we have to come up under him and make sure he's all of those things to us. It can't be satisfying enough for us that he says he'll be that. But we don't take advantage of it. See, the second part is that you'll be his people. Which means he has to be able to guide you. Because he so wants to. But if we don't let him... We don't do our part if we won't follow. If Pastor Justin said this summer will be a season of separation and we're not doing it, that's on us. I told you there's all kinds of things vying for your attention. There's social media. There's TV. But how much time are you spending with him? This is a season of separating yourself to him. Why? Because he, number one, because I love him. I want what he wants. And apparently he wants to do something pretty great that he needs us to separate ourselves to him. What does social media have for you? Miracles? What does the TV have for you? Peace? But he does. And see, you can't give it if you can't experience it. See, it can't be something we know about. It can't be a vocabulary of words that we've all heard. It has to be something we've experienced. It has to be, uh, he's Jehovah Jireh because I've experienced him as Jehovah Jireh. Let me tell you about it. Don't you want stories? I want stories. I want to be able to tell anyone my story. You're dealing with this. Let me tell you what he did for me. He can't do it for you. He did it for me. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. I mean, he's no respecter of persons. But we have to have stories. And the only way to have stories is to let him be our God and us become his people. Which means we have to fall in love with him. We have to want what he wants more than we want what we think we want. Because in the end, everyone, we want what he wants. Yeah. Because our limited minds, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has not even entered into our minds the greatness and goodness that God has stored up for those who love him. You can't even imagine what he has for you. We should want what he wants. 
Because it's not just what he wants, it's for you. Everything God wants is for our benefit. But we just can't love our lives to the death. I know I've said this before, but Jeremiah 13, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's so, it's just so, I love it. And it's so true. And can I say, I'll say it until we all get it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to keep saying it until we all get it. But in Jeremiah 13, God tells Ezekiel, take the sash off your waist, take it to the river and hide it under a rock. And then later, God comes back to Ezekiel and says, go get the sash. And so, Ezekiel goes and gets the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. And in verse 11, God says, As the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole House of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. Just like the sash wasn't made to be put under the rock, right? It was made to cling to the waist of a man. He says, that's how I made you. I've made you to cling to me. Cling to me. Above all else, cling to me. Because that's how I'm going to make you my people. For praise, for glory, and for renown. Everyone will hear about it. That's renown. They'll all hear about it. Cling to me, God says. Why? Because I will be your God and you will be my people. Let me read you. Another word of the Lord I saw this week. I don't know when this one came out, but it says, Jesus and Holy Spirit did not come to the earth to lose. They did not leave heaven to be beaten by a fallen reprobate cherub. They did not come to surrender their kingdom to the government of man. They did not come to take orders from reckless kings, governors, potentates, presidents, congressmen or women, senators, prime ministers, tribal chiefs, mayors, city councils, school boards, tenured professors, or any political parties. They didn't come to start a weak, pitiful, scared church. They came to win. They came to strip hell of its power. They came to destroy the works of the devil. They came to activate and oversee angel armies to assist the glorious church. Not a whimpering church begging to survive. Not a scared, intimidated, bullied church. Not a church shaken by demon propaganda. Not a church shook by insulting government tyranny. Not a church bound by lying hypocrites. Rather, a bold ecclesia. A fierce and determined remnant raising their voice with passion. A church that answers the challenge of demons without fear. A New Testament church that will not bow their knee to anyone but Jesus. 
The Lord says to his ecclesia, stop looking at your options. I am your option. I am your option. (laughs) Hear the deep-throated roar of the Lion King himself roaring, this is my territory. This is my pride, like lions. This is my nation. This is my world. I said it is finished, not I am finished. I finished redemption for sins on the cross, but I'm not done. I'm not done with my church. No, I will finish building my church. It will be glorious. It will be without spot or wrinkle. It will reign in my name. It will not be intimidated, scared, confused, bewildered, tepid, or spineless. I'm not done. I've got much to finish and I will finish it. I've saved the best wine for your times. I will now finish the releasing of outpouring after outpouring after outpouring of my power and anointing revealed in my manifest presence. The world will see my power manifestly revealed in my triumphant remnant. My my glory will become demonstratively real in your times. I'm not finished. I'm not finished healing blind eyes. I'm not finished opening deaf ears. I'm not finished restoring crippled limbs. I'm not done reaping my harvest of the end of the age. I'm not finished saving the lost, setting the oppressed free, or delivering captives. I'm not done with Muslims. I'm not done with Hindus. I'm not done penetrating the nations with the gospel of my kingdom. I'm not done with alcoholics. I'm not done with drug addicts. I'm not done delivering the bound. I'm not done removing lust and perversion from those who are wounded, broken, and bruised. I'm not done setting homosexuals free. I'm not done setting lesbians free. I'm not done setting adulterers free. I'm not finished with gay marriage. I'm not finished with abortion. I'm far from finished. Which means you're not finished. The church is not finished. My ecclesia is not done binding hell. It's not done standing for my word without compromise. It's not done confronting demon doctrines, confronting rebel government, confronting rebel kings, dictators, presidents, judges, evil dignitaries that have mocked me. My reigning church is not done prevailing over the gates of hell. It's not done promoting righteousness that exalts a nation. It's not done preaching the word of truth. It's not done prevailing over principalities, mights, and dominions of darkness. It's not done salting the earth, lighting up darkness, reversing evil laws, treading on demons, preaching hope, preaching deliverance to the captives, reaping my harvest. My church isn't done when the government says it's done. It's done when I say it's done. Occupy till I come. Rise in my authority. Rise in my power. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Yeah! Yeah! I will be your God. You be my people. That's what God's saying to us tonight. Amen? It's our responsibility, church. To know this and to get in your prayer room and start warring because they cannot stop your prayers and they cannot resist the Holy One. He will have his way. He will have his way. And I don't know what the titles of the songs were tonight, but if I were you, I'd get them on my phone or somewhere and I'd put them on repeat. That second one especially. Rachel, will you put up the the lyrics to that second song? I 
I mean, get this song and put it on repeat. You're here with the grace of the Savior, with the heart of the Father. You're all we need. You're here with the hands of the healer, with the power of your spirit. You're all we need. At the mention of your name, every chain will break. I know everything will change. Just Jesus, just the whisper of your name will silence wind and waves at the mention of your name. He wants to be your God. He wants everyone to know he's our God. Wow. Father, my father, my God. We boldly come into your throne room tonight because of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, for mercy where we've missed it. And grace, Father, your sufficient grace to help us be what you need us to be right now in this time. Father, on every heart that's heard this word tonight, make us bold. Help us fall in love with you. Holy Spirit, your job is to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. God, we want to fall in love with you. We want what you want. Deep down, we know we want what you want. And Father, Father, nothing's greater than you getting what you want. Because Father, what that looks like is a world that's saved. (laughs) So Father, we will pray for our city and the peace of our city. Father, start here at Heritage of Faith and reach Crowley and Fort Worth and Texas. And Father, let the waves go from there. And Father, I know we're not the only church praying this. Father, let every church pray this. That here we are, use us. Father, we surrender. We surrender. Father, we started out tonight by saying you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor. Well, Father, I want the whole world to give you glory. I want the whole world to give you honor. You're so deserving. Jesus, you're so deserving. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking a punishment I deserved. You deserve the glory. You deserve all the honor. Father, I want a a world that praises you. So, Father, whatever my part is in that, give me the grace to do it. Father, it's not by might nor by power, but only by your spirit. We have to have you. Father, fall on us. Give us your heart. Father, take the stony heart that's in us out and give us that heart of flesh. Father, we're covenanting with you tonight. Fresh and anew. With sincere hearts to love you. To love those around us. Father, give us a passion for the lost. Send your fire in our hearts. 
change the way we're living. Father, change the way we're living. Let us go to bed with you on our minds. Wake up with you on our minds. Leave our homes with glory. Glory. That they will come to the light of your shining. And one by one, Father, we'll see your kingdom come. Your will be done. (laughs) On earth as it is in heaven. Father, I can see Crowley worshiping you. Oh, Lord, send revival. Send revival. We want you and nothing else will do. Now that we see it, Father... Nothing less will do. We want the maximum. We want the maximum. We want your maximum. We want the maximum for you. For you. Father, have your way. Thank you that you're promising. That we're not in this on our own. That you're going to work with us. Every time, Father, we open our mouths, you'll fill it. And in those words will be life and light to men. Bring them in, Father, from the north, the south, the east, and the west into the kingdom. not be satisfied. Until we're doing your will. Until we're doing what you created us to do. Ruling and reigning over darkness. Snatching them from the fire. go to bed tonight, Father. I pray your word that says we'll have dreams and we'll have visions. Father, I thank you you show us, each one of us, each one whose heart is crying out for this, Father, what we can do. You said you'll order our steps and direct our paths. So, Father, we speak your word back to you. Order our steps. Direct our paths. That the kingdom might prosper. That we might prosper. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your covenant of peace. Your covenant of blessing. I speak it over everybody in this room. 
and those watching that you would increase us more and more. Thank you that you're making us that city on a hill. (laughs) That you're going to show us off for your glory. And Father, you will get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. I love you. God loves you.